Hi and welcome to The Courageous Mama, the last one of the year. If you're someone who loves to grow in yourself and in your parenting, you've come to the right place. Here we'll explore the things that get in your way and get in the way of the calm and connected relationships that you want with your kids. This week we're starting to explore the nine different personality types on the Enneagram. So each month, I'm going to do a profile on a character type so that we can gain insights and find what's at the heart of that child and how best and most effectively to parent them through their fine and their not so fine moments. And if we can understand what's driving them, we can actually help them to navigate healthily. I'm Madeline Stanameros, a coach, a parent coach, an author, the host of The Courageous Mama. So welcome and thank you for joining me. I hope you've had a good fortnight. Ours has been full of fun and celebrations. Three of us in the family have birthdays within four days. So we all gathered in East London and we ate and we wandered around markets and celebrated each other. That's all the family bar Tom, of course, who's still in Melbourne. And we've also been waiting on court cases as various foster children almost arrive and then don't at the last minute. So one minute I'm sourcing for a cot and then the next minute it's bunk beds and this morning we're awaiting notice and I'll be off to get a pushchair. It's a strange old scene over here. Last fortnight we had a fantastic interview with a coach called Helen Calder and she walked us through the different character types in a tool called the Enneagram. It's so insightful And so from there, I'm launching a season of the Enneagram. So through that, we can look at the different character types of children. And that way we can parent in a way that is most helpful specifically for that child. So do head back to the interview with Helen for good context. But you can also take this week on face value. So I'm really excited to share this with you because I find this tool has so many helpful parenting clues. And in the coaching room, parents are finding it holds so many answers to those clash points in family life and offers a way to meet the underlying needs of those in conflict. So hop onto the adventure as we unpack the Enneagram. This week is the first in my series and I'm going to pay attention to that child who sees the world as a place to be conquered. And the character type is the challenger. But what is this Enneagram you speak of, Madeline? Good question. Let me answer it in the words of an expert, Ian Morgan Cron. It's an ancient personality typing system that teaches that there are nine basic personality types one of which gravitate towards in childhood as a way to feel safe and cope in this new world of relationships. Each of the types has an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how that type acts, thinks and feels on a moment-by-moment basis. What could be more useful in the world of parenting than knowing what's underlying different behaviours? So in order to familiarise you with the Enneagram, I thought it would be fun to paint a scene for you where all of the nine types on the Enneagram get to play a part. In this imaginary picture, I'll illustrate the different ways that different characters might respond in the same scenario. 
And that way you'll get a feel for the different character types before we launch into the challenger. So imagine for a minute you've got nine children and each one is a different type on the Enneagram. Now picture you've walked into a supermarket with your nine children and as you go in, a man is coming straight towards you with a trolley full of alcohol. And you're at the entrance and he's coming out the inn and in his haste, he's mown over a woman with a walking stick. She's fallen over, the stick's fallen over and it's a mess. Now I'm using this scenario because it happened to me recently, although I was on my own, I didn't have nine children in tow. But for illustration, let's look at the different ways your nine different character types might respond to that scenario. Your Enneagram One character type would want to stop the man, check his receipt and see if he'd paid for the goods. So they're seeing the situation through their lens and their lens is this is a place to restore moral order. Your number two type would head straight to the elderly woman on the floor and assist her. So they see the situation from the perspective of the most in need. Your number three type would take charge and begin directing the others around them, seeing the scene as a place to be effective and perform well. Your number four would feel emotional overwhelm and quite possibly be looking around the other siblings or at you to see what your emotional needs are. So their lens is that they're seeing the situation as a threat to the emotional safety of themselves, their siblings and you. Number five would be calm and want to observe, trying to collect as much data from the surrounding chaos to formulate when and where they can be practical. So they're seeing the situation as something to be observed so that the facts can be applied. Number six, are you recognising anybody you know in these characters? Not just your children, but perhaps friends or relatives and so on. Number six has this scenario stored away in their mind with all the other catastrophes they've ever imagined might happen. So they'll be trying to source the best plan of action and possibly finding a manager or some authority figure for the scenario. If time permitted, quite frankly, they'd Google some options. So they're seeing the situation as an inevitable catastrophe and a time to source the best advice for the matter at hand. Number sevens are drawn to the adventures of the unknown. So they're not phased by this at all. And they might hold on to the laden trolley so that it can't, he can't escape with it or come up with a creative way of apprehending the thief or scooping up a sibling or two for safety. So they're seeing the situation as a spontaneous opportunity for their quick thinking responses. Number eight wants a fast and effective solution. So they're likely to block the doorway, take charge, give orders to those around, possibly up against the number three for authority. And they're seeing the situation as a place that requires courage and the need to defend and apprehend and exercise decisive action. And number nine, well, they'll be focused and calm and quite possibly working out the best way to fit in among all the other reactions without undermining what's already going on. They're seeing the situation as somewhere to offer their help, but to be rational and clash avoidant to the other helpers around. What a scenario. 
And of course, there are a myriad of nuances to all of those reactions, but it's fun just to paint a picture to show how very differently each character type will see the situation. Some from the perspective of the injured woman, some from the other sibling's vantage point, some from the moral perspective, and some from the emotional standpoint, but all at the same time and place of the event. So if we broaden that out to life in general, understanding what our children see and perceive and how they want to engage with life and all that it throws at them will help you to support their strengths and meet their needs according to the different lens through which they're looking at life. It will also show you where to strengthen them, where to help them to be honed. So we can adjust our parenting to help them to grow emotionally. I've just got two quick notes to say before we start. The first is that you can't work out a child's number when they're too young. It's good to watch and see and ultimately see what number they identify with. But on that journey, I do believe that you can see characteristics that narrow it down and help you to understand what's motivating their behaviour and see if they're leaning towards a type and in turn, how best to respond to them. The second point I'd make is that your child is, of course, unique. They're more than a number. Alongside their number, there'll be millions of other factors. They might be sporty or funny or funky or techy, a dramatic person, a lover of words, a quiet person, an introvert, tactile, pioneering, connecting, a sailor, an animal lover. Of course, there are other things in the mix there. We're not boxing. But what we're looking at is their core motivations that drive their decisions. So as you could see from the picture that I painted, the two was driven to help others. The eight was driven to defend. So that's what we're looking for here. So we're starting with the character type eight and they're often called, as I say, the challenger. Let's look at some of their traits. These characters can be quite confrontational. And I know that many kids can, but I'm going to group some other characteristics in too so that you get a more rounded picture. And you can have a think about whether it sounds like I'm describing your child. And you might find other people come to mind too, predominantly yourself, or maybe a friend or a partner, a family member, colleague or neighbour. You'll probably find yourself, as I describe, thinking, oh, that sounds just like so-and-so, or oh, that's definitely our child. So this character, the challenger, they have a need to be strong and resilient. They're not afraid to speak their mind or even to point things out that other people might be thinking but perhaps don't dare to say. And they'll rise to a challenge. They're very fact-led. Their motivation is that they don't want to be seen as weak. They're driven by this and they will protect themselves and those that they love accordingly. And there are some great characteristics. They have leadership qualities, they stand up for others who don't find it easy to defend themselves and they will go after a cause. They get things done, they make it happeners. But on the challenging side, they find it harder to follow than to lead and that can be problematic when they resist parental boundaries. Sound like your child? Sound like anyone you know? Sound like you? The Enneagram Type 8s are attracted to the high voltage end of life. 
They like to be in the center of the action and they've got the energy for it. And we might use expressions like this about them. Energetic, magnetic, confident, strong, resilient, assertive, straight talking, decisive, resourceful, upfront, fiery, overpowering, loyal, honest. And we need this type of person. If your child has these characteristics, I'm sure that your friends have reassured you that they'll stand them in good stead for the future. And they will, if they're harnessed in the right way. Let's look at some famous type eights to give you an idea. Winston Churchill, Oscar Schindler of Schindler's List. If you haven't seen that movie, I so recommend it. Martin Luther King, Aretha Franklin, Serena Williams, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, you get my point, <laughs> and Donald Trump. So as you can see, they can go on to do great things with their lives, big things with their lives. But if they haven't quite learned to hone their strengths or been guided by wise parents, their strengths can make a lot of mess. And I'll leave it to you to decide if any of those characters have made a bit of a mess. So as you can see, type eights are strong. They can rally support for causes, good and bad, instill confidence in others, defend others, overcome setbacks, break records, or they can railroad towards their own personal goals, overriding the needs of others in their wake. A couple of years ago, we had our driveway turned from a messy, concretey, weed-infested, muddy patch into a paved parking area. And the workers came with a digger. And this thing, literally, it dove through sheet concrete. It ploughed clean lines among the mess. It went through gnarled steel and rugged driveway bits, ready for pavers and turf. But here's the thing. You wouldn't want to get in its way. These things have a task and a goal. And I didn't realise that our thriving little rosebush that we'd bought for our anniversary and our beautiful wisteria that was climbing up the walls of our house would all get mown over and end up in the skip. And so it can be with type 8s. Sometimes they're so focused on the goal, in all good spirit, they leave a wake of attrition. And this is the part that needs a little honing and maturing and growth, some good parenting. So why all this dogged determination for the eight? The premise of the Enneagram that I find helpful is to accept that childhood will have its challenges. No matter how wonderful the parents are, there will have been places in childhood where they've needed to switch to survival mode. Let me give you an example. It's an extreme one, but it'll give you the gist and then from there we can sort of dial back and find smaller ones. So let's say a type eight happened to have quite a large, maybe overpowering parent and their response to that childhood situation or situations was to rise up and survive emotionally. And they found that in order to get heard or defend siblings or even the other parent, they felt the need to be overpowering and it worked. So powering up was their survival method, their superpower. And it would have served them well in childhood. It will have served you well in your childhood. 
And the legacy is that when they feel resisted in any way at all, they get loud, they get large, they get strong. They don't leave room to be overpowered. I think that in some famous films and cartoons, they would call this the origin story. I have to take over the world because when I was seven, I got teased at school. You know, you've got the Edna Moles and the Darth Vader type characters, haven't you? But let's not assume that all children with big character parents will survive in this way. Some might choose a totally different form of survival. They might prefer to hide to survive, to be seen and not heard, to stay under the radar, to escape the dominant parent. So that's two extreme survival responses to the same scenario. A simpler one could be that when they had struggles at school, the parent message was, don't let anybody push you around. And if that message clicks into their core belief as a survival mode, they can take that approach all the way through life for good at times, but also for the bad and the ugly. So all to say that childhood has its challenges, no matter who you are and how dreamy your childhood was. And the survival mode does help you through them. But in adulthood, it shouldn't be necessary to use that survival mode. We need to mature out of it, use its strengths, but leave its slightly uglier tones. To put that into context, do you know anyone who you feel gets immature at challenging moments? I mean, I think probably to a greater or lesser degree, we all do. But when you experience that in someone else, that's their survival mode and it looks immature on an adult. For example, road rage, a great example of fruitless, immature responses. And just to set the scene, let me give you a little bit more around the child survival piece because this is my first of the series and I think it's helpful to understand it. For example, you might know a person who when you share something with them, they've always got to have done one better. You've got one, they've got two. You've been there, they've been there twice or they've got a bigger one. And their survival in childhood might have been younger siblings that were catching up or an older sibling that they wanted to compete with and catch up with. Or a one-off comparison by a parent of teacher who says, why can't you be more like dot, dot, dot? So it may well be that when they're one-upping you, they're clicking into their childhood mode. And you're sitting there thinking, why aren't they just taking an interest in what I've shared? Why are they competing with me? Why are they offering a bigger story? But it could well be that their frontal lobe, the bit that does the rationale, the thinking, has given way to their amygdala. That's their fight, flight or freeze. Now, they may have no idea that they've been triggered by a familiar childhood threat, but it's flipped them into that survival mode and the message they're hearing loud and clear is prove yourself or you'll feel devalued. And that's survival over maturity. It doesn't have to look crazy or big. It's just a little bit confusing to be in or it can be an irritating characteristic of someone. And these survival modes can come from stories that we've believed about ourselves. They can come from a big experience or just one throwaway line from a sibling, a parent, a teacher, a neighbour. But somehow it's worked its way into that person's self-perception. I hope those examples give you some helpful basics. So the critical piece of the Enneagram is to see what childhood story you're still living in 
or what childhood story your child's living in that's survival mode. And the job of us as parents is to see if there are some characteristics that we can help our children to harness for good, not for self-defense or survival as they grow and mature. So their challenges have given them their superpower and they can use or abuse it. So that's a little sidebar on the origin stories of the different character types. So now back to our challenger. The eight is often called the challenger because they like a challenge. They like to have high expectations of themselves and of others. Whether that's starting a new enterprise, leading a sports team, running a home, influencing an environment, defending a country, eights like to advance. And that can be attractive to follow. They can be quite magnetic characters. But they can be like Marmite too. You can like them or want to keep your distance. So what's the core motivation of an eight? What do they want? Well, they want to protect themselves and others that they choose to protect from feeling or being seen as weak. That is their motive. And they've got their radar up also for those that might betray or undermine them. Now there will be other character types that share the eight's desire to be independent, not to be intimidated, but it might not be their guiding force. With an eight, that's the key motivating factor that drives them. So eights have this larger than life feel about them and they're at their most energetic when they're in the zone of using their strengths like endurance, willpower, persistence, that's their sweet spot. But whether they use that for good or harm can depend on how they're feeling. And as with all Enneagram types, they exhibit different characteristics depending on whether they feel stressed or whether they feel secure. When they're feeling stressed, they can have a tendency to self-protect. Their feelings of being betrayed or being perceived as weak are amped up and their armour goes on. And that can manifest in being critical, defensive or intimidating to be around. Or they can actually withdraw and become remote and detached and hard to connect with. And in both cases, they're hardening their shell against perceived threats to their strength. So if you've got a child who feels pushed around or bullied at school and they're in survival mode, you'll notice them either become overpowering at home or actually strangely detached and withdrawn. But when they're feeling secure, you'll see that shell come off. And if they're in a potentially conflictual family moment, yet they're feeling secure, they'll make space for other people's opinions. They'll allow for the fact that justice is a perspective at times. It's not just their decree. And this is where they'll let you see their softer side and they'll draw close and they'll trust people with their vulnerabilities and even allow other people's strengths to support and help them. You know, I remember being at dinner next to a chap, this is a few years ago now, and I would conject that he was a type eight. And he got on to that dreaded topic of Brexit, which was so hot at the time. I didn't have such a full understanding of the Enneagram at the time. And the larger and the more bombastic he was on the topic, the more I just shrank back into my chair. 
Now I'm a fairly confident character, but the strength of his transmission just left me feeling, I don't want to draw close to that couple. I don't enjoy how he makes me feel. I now know that actually he'd have been very happy for me to rise to the challenge. His intention was not to diminish me. He probably didn't even know he was. And even if I didn't have the international trade statistics from past and projected futures, he would have equally admired me for just putting a firm boundary down. I might have said something like, well, you sound very sure of your opinion. Mine differs. I don't want to talk about politics in a social setting. You see, eights enjoy strengths in others. They actually admire people who stand up for themselves, even if they can seem combative in the process. It's just part of their worldview. We need to defend and conquer to advance. But eights don't always realise that in their advancing, they may cause others to retreat. I suspect the chap next to me at dinner would hate to think that I didn't enjoy the evening on account of his behaviour. He'd probably be bemused that someone could be put off by his honest opinions. See, they can be unaware of how overpowering they can be at times. Sound like anyone you know? And that's why it's critical for us as parents to hone their superpowers so it isn't used in unhealthy ways that dominate and alienate people because then they can lose friends and have no idea why and that then spirals into them feeling betrayed and beginning to withdraw. So if you're anything like me and you want your children to love and be loved, this is a great tool to get the hang of. And there's so much more to an eight than advance mode. There's a real soft underbelly to an eight. Helen said in the last podcast that an eight is like a bear in armour. They've got a soft, sensitive vulnerability at their core. I have an eight in my life who's chosen to trust me and they will show me their pain and their fear and it feels like a sacred space and a warm privilege to be allowed into that vulnerable place where they're sharing their deeper authentic feelings. Isn't that what we want as parents to be a safe place for them to take their armour off and allow us to reach them? So in short, an eight is strong, but their tipping point is that their strength can scare people off and then they can in turn feel rejected. But underneath, they're soft and they're sensitive. So if you're recognising that you might have a challenger among your children, let's look at some of the ways we can bring out the best in them. Well, first of all, we can celebrate their tenacity, their endurance, their strength, their resilience and enjoy the fact that they can improve their environment or even the world with their decisive common sense, their passion and their presence. They're great to be around. But in order to hone their wonderful skill set, our role is to help them to be secure enough to make space for other perspectives and to courageously show their vulnerable side. So let's look at five ways we can parent the challenger. These are great ways to parent in general, but they're specifically powerful in parenting a child who may be a type eight on the Enneagram. 
Parenting can be wonderful, but it can be tough at times too. If you'd like to reduce the stress in your home, if you'd like a kinder home, kids that listen and who thrive emotionally, pop me an email and I'll share ways that I as a coach can help you and your family. And also, if you haven't got a copy of my book, Parenting for Life yet, you'll find that at thecourageousmama.com. And this month, I'm offering a free 15-minute one-to-one micro-coach with each copy sold. Parents often say, can you just be on my shoulder when my child dot dot dot? Well, now I can. I've learned that sometimes you've just got stuck on a small thing and you want a quick helping hand for a specific scenario. So here's a way that you can do that. Pop onto The Courageous Mama, order a copy of Parenting for Life for yourself, for a friend, for a Christmas present, and I'll make a time to chat with you about that issue that's getting in the way of your connected relationship with one of your children or all of your children. Now, back to the podcast. So let's look at five ways we can parent the challenger. So number one, let them fail with dignity. We can help a type A child to see that imperfections aren't weak. They're a part of the practice of life, part of progress and growth, and what ultimately makes them stronger. We can help them to know that they're lovable even when they get things wrong and that mistakes are things that they've done, not who they are. You might make a foolish decision, for example. It doesn't make you a fool. It was just an event. And sometimes we can unwittingly shame or belittle our kids when they've messed up. And with the challenger, this sends them into stress mode, which isn't fun for anybody. So, for example, when they lose a match or when they get a detention, try to resist coaching them in that moment. It's so tempting to ask them, well, what could you have done differently? What have you learned? Or even side with the school if they've had that detention. But what they really need is for you to be supportive and understanding. The lost game or the detention will do the teaching. We can come alongside And if you've got some wisdom that you are just burning to share, do it at another point. Let your first response be comfort and understanding. They need to trust so that they can tell you where they've gone wrong. Because remember, they're motivated not to feel weak. So if they feel that your response is making them feel diminished, they will hide their feelings from you. So teach them that a fail doesn't mean they're a failure. It means they're strengthening. Number two, words are powerful for a challenger. It's often their weapon. So affirm their softer qualities. Let them know that you've appreciated them if they've been supportive or affirmed someone else, made space for someone else's opinion. Try to spot the small good things they've done in the day. And use words like loyal, honest, supportive, kind and thoughtful. Hone that softer side. And avoid words like stubborn, fiery, overpowering, demonstrative. It just makes them put that shell up. 
And when they do use their strengths and they have a victory, try to avoid phrases that lead them to feel dominant and that strength is always rewarded. So when they come home with their triumph, ask them how they achieved it and affirm the process. Sounds like you really persevered, you were resourceful, you were resilient, you showed tenacity. So for example, if they've won a game, there's a losing team, isn't there? Or if they've won a prize or position against a peer, there'll be a loss for someone else. So keep them focused on their technique rather than their dominance. And that'll be the area that they then develop. You're celebrating their win, not the other person's loss. You're celebrating them. Reframing their strengths like this will empower them to use their strengths for good. And even when you're in sort of conflict with them and you're finding them overpowering and fiery and so on, try words like, I can see you feel decisive about that or confident about that. I'd like to share another perspective. And then they won't feel like they need to defend themselves from being put down. Number three, don't solve. Are you a solver? (laughs) It's hard not to be at times, isn't it? So if an eight shares a problem or an issue with you, it's a really brave move for them. They're taking their armour off and they are showing you their heart. Be still. Don't load in with ideas and suggestions. Let them know that their feelings are valid and that you appreciate their honesty. You respect their vulnerability. If you pop back to podcast four or 86, there are expressions and responses where I really flesh out the listening game because it's something that I think we're not born with that we need to hone ourselves as parents. And listening with effective outcomes is a really good thing to practice. So podcast four or podcast 86. So use words like, oh, that sounds hard or gosh, that's so difficult for you. I'm sorry you had to go through that and pull up a chair and, and do the eye to eye thing. Don't throw it over your shoulder as you're working at your laptop or maybe you're at the sink. Make sure that you meet their pain. That's the way you'll build trust with them. And don't be tempted to show them the other person's perspective. There might be time for that reflection later. Remember, this is a sacred space. You could see yourself a little bit like the ambulance that pulls up and the paramedics jump out and there's the person on the floor and they've got this bleeding wound. They don't stand there and go, well, what happened? I was a bit daft, wasn't it? Why did you do that? Who's at fault here? They go straight to the person. They comfort and they go to the wound. And that's our role in that situation. Number four, conflict. When they're angry, try to find that wound. Anger is the go-to emotion of the Enneagram type A, but it will be masking an underlying emotion. Anger is a secondary emotion. They might be feeling fearful. They might have been demeaned in some way. Try to think about what could be stressing them. What's the thing underneath the thing? Are they frustrated, angry, disappointed? Did someone at school railroad them today? Did a teacher misunderstand them? Did they feel betrayed or made to feel weak by a friend? That is kryptonite to the challenger. And you can't interrogate them, but you can be a little curious and let them know that you care about their heart not just about their temper. 
Anger looks as though it's seeking somebody to dominate or avenge, but actually it's looking for someone to trust. And I will chat in a second about how to protect yourself when they're rising up and also others in the spiral of that anger. But at first, I just want to point out that anger isn't always wrong. There is righteous anger. There are things going on in the world that we should feel angry about. Martin Luther King wouldn't have blazed his trail without angrily defending justice and fairness. Sometimes it has its cause and it can be directed productively. So even in the heat of the moment, you can sometimes pull out the thing that they care about. But I do acknowledge there is also destructive anger. There's the drama that comes with it. And so let them know that you've seen their frustration and you want to be there for them. Be that ambulance. That's your first message. And don't use the word anger. It really won't help. But tell them you get this looks really bad and you want to be there for them. And they may blow up and stomp off. But what they will hear is that you're in empathy mode, not correction mode when they're feeling hurt, betrayed or upside down. But there is the case where they may be crushing you or others around them and you might need to protect. And the way to do that is to avoid at all costs the word you. You aren't listening. You're so opinionated. That will just trigger them. Go to your I messages and let them know you need some space. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I really care about this, but I can't think clearly when I'm shouted at or contested. Or I'd love to talk about this when we're both feeling calm. It's okay not to talk about everything in the moment. Remember, they're in advance mode. They want traction. They want to deal with it right now. It's okay to say, I can't do that right now. And that way you can protect yourself and you might also find yourself protecting others. An eight doesn't always know they can be intimidating. So sometimes it's helpful if they'll let you to reflect afterwards on a situation that you've noticed where they're being a little overbearing. Ask them, you know, if they noticed others at the dinner table getting quieter and quieter. Perhaps ask them if they feel there might have been space for another opinion or how would they have responded if a sibling felt differently to them on that subject. And show them, top tip here, the colour grey. This character type is all about the black and white, the right and wrong. Eights find it very difficult to see grey areas. So when they're fixed on the all or nothing or the absolutes, help them to see where there just might be something in the middle. And you'll probably have to do quite a lot of listening before you show them the grey. But if they've been heard and understood and their perspective has been logged as valid, they might feel secure enough to hear how other people might have seen it. And of course, whatever we try and coach them in, we need to model ourselves. Model ways to convey that other people's opinions are important, even if you don't agree with them. Give them their one-liners, expressions like, I see what you're saying. There's no commitment in that. You just see what they're saying. Or I'm interested to hear that. Or tell me what makes you think that. And it'll show them that you can understand without agreeing. Very good practice as a parent too, that you can understand without agreeing. And teach them if they'll let you to count to 10. 
Some characters need to step up and some characters need to step back. And the challenger could hone the habit of just taking a breath and stepping back. The issue isn't going to run away. They're just counting to 10. It's such a good thing to encourage. Gently and not necessarily in a heated moment, but in a reflective moment. And also help them to pick their cause and walk away from things that aren't their cause, worthy as they may be. And that's not just for the sake of those around them, but actually to guide them to self-protect. Type 8s love to overdo. They see it as a healthy passion, but they can burn out. And when they do, they put that shell back on and they can tend towards self-neglect or poor self-care. So helping them not to save the whole world, but to make space for their own needs is important. And lastly, number five, repair. Help them to repair when they've made a mistake. Use language like brave and courageous when encouraging them to repair a relationship. That way they won't feel weak when they go wrong or say sorry or choose to forgive someone who may have offended them. Let them know it's much easier to be close to a person who can be wrong or can accept that other people go wrong. And affirm again that mistakes are an event, not an identity. Admitting that they were brash with someone doesn't label them as brash or a bully or abusive. It's just a moment in time that they need to revisit and reflect on. And help yourself and others around them to be gracious when they do try to repair. And for this again, we need to model well. Be quick to say our sorries, own our own mistakes. Go back to them and just say, oh, I don't think I handled that well yesterday. Did I hurt you in the process? Show them that it's empowering to restore relationship. It's a strength. So those are the five tips for parenting your challenger. And that will prevent them from getting hurt and rejected, which is, of course, ironically, the very thing they're trying to avoid. You know, I had a client who has a daughter and she wouldn't take any instruction, any prompts to do homework, any prompts to do chores. And she's given me permission to share this. So the client herself had an overbearing mother. So when her child used to come up against her and use her strength, she as a mother didn't want to dilute it. She felt she's going to need this for life because vicariously, she realised in the process, she was wanting her child to have courage where she hadn't. So she was teaching her child to control rather than be in control of herself. You know that mantra that we love? I manage me, you manage you. And it's great to want your child to be strong. We hear it all over the place, particularly about girls. But let's understand where that could lead to if it's abused. Gentleness is strength under control. So ultimately we know that the type 8 character is defending themselves from that internal message they've picked up somewhere along the line and their survival is to protect themselves and others from feeling weak. So helping them to make space for other people's opinions, even ones that they disagree with and finding people that they can trust with their vulnerability will adjust their perception of strength and then they will learn that moderation will protect them. Vulnerability will connect them. 
self-control will balance them. Unconditional acceptance of themselves and others will help them to feel secure. And that will be their superpower at home, in the playground, in life. And remember when I'm going through a character type, of course I'm leading you to think about your children, but I'm also leading you to think about yourself or your partner, because this podcast is about you and your parenting, not just your parenting. So have your antenna up for whether these characteristics are evident in yourself or people that you know, so that whilst you can help your kids, you can also be compassionate to yourself or others with fresh understanding. So if we're parenting that type 8 child and we gain the trust of their fiery challenger, we can then influence them to know when to advance, when to hold back, how to advance with sensitivity and how to be strong yet vulnerable and gain the trust and connection of the people that they love. Thank you for joining me today. It's fun to share insights that can grow us and help our parenting. Another fortnight will take us right into the Christmas week. So I'll take a break and I'll be back in January when I am excited to say I'll be sharing my conversation with sex therapist Emma Waring and she has got some surprises in store for you. I'll give you a little heads up at the beginning of that podcast because you might want to switch it off and choose to listen to it alone, certainly for the first run through. Might not be the one that you'll listen to in the car with the kids. However, it's very definitely a don't miss episode. In the meanwhile, I hope you have a fantastic Christmas season with your family. I'm going to end on a top tip for Christmas and it's this. What your children will remember more than the decor, the presents or the food is how it felt to be in your home, your company around Christmas. That's what the Christmas memory will be for them. I'm all for the bling. I am surrounded by reindeers and holly and yes I've planned the food but what I'm saying is in those moments where you're faced with whether to clear and clean or make another trifle or play a game or just sit and hold a child and reflect on the day make the choice that warms the heart because that's the memory that will last. Happy Christmas and a happy new year and thank you so much to all of you who've supported me through 2022. I'll look forward to seeing you in 2023.